Welcome to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. For more details, check out faithcc.com.au. We hope you enjoy this message. You know, one of the things that I think is really important in church life or what God does in, in, in the way he works in our world is what you might call moves of God. Now, a move of God is just a fresh wind blowing on something that we'd forgotten. So a revival, which we talk about often, is a bit extreme to talk about because people have different views of what, of, of what revival might be, and revival is sometimes very extreme, but uh, it actually means, really, vive is the word for life, and re means life, so it's life-life. So that which has had life gets life again, that's revival. But a move of God is something different. For example, right now, we're in the middle of a move of God called the grace move. I think it's a wind of God that's blowing that is emphasizing something we sort of lost. So you've got a strong emphasis of grace. And it's a good thing because it's changing the face of how we do church and how people see church. It's been going now for about 10 or 15 years. But there was a move of God that happened 25 years ago. In fact, when I left Australia and went to Denmark, and I guess you could call it the laughing move of God. How many remember that move of God? That's rather sad that so many of you remember that, actually. If you are in the church and you're a new Christian, or, or maybe you haven't been around that long, 10 or 15 years, or maybe uh, you're too young to know this, there was, in, in 25 years ago, there was a move of God where everyone just laughed. And I went to Denmark to train leaders, and you'd stand up in a crowd like this and say, all right, well, we're going to look at leadership now, and they would just fall off their seats laughing. It didn't happen in one church. It happened globally. It happened in this church. It was a move of God, genuinely. It had some extremes, but it was genuinely a move of God. And it was a really hard thing to embrace while I was working in terms of Denmark because I just wanted to train leaders, but they had this thing happening with this great move of God. And I said to the Holy Spirit one day, I said, I don't understand this move of God. Why, why have you brought this move of God? And this is what he said to me as I understood it was, even I was bored coming to church, so I thought I'd come and have some fun. Because <laughs> some of you don't remember what it was like. Way, way back, church was really tough in some places. When I went to Europe, it was really staunchly religious. It was hard. People didn't smile. People were angry because God was meant to be angry with everyone, so they were angry too. And, um, you know, it was just a different day. But thankfully, today, you can come to a church like this and to laugh and embrace and enjoy what Christianity is is normative to you, but it took a move of God for that to happen. The church I was in, saved in in New Zealand, in, uh, way, way back uh, when I was 17, my pastor had to do two messages back to back on it's okay to smile and be a Christian. He didn't even get to the laughing bit. He just got to smile because that's, that's pretty big, just to crack one for Jesus, you know. <laughs> and there's an amazing verse that I want to read to you tonight, found in the book of Hebrews, and it's up on the screen here. Please don't put my face up like that. It's, it's, this, is a, this is genuinely a face for radio. <laughs> I was in the doctor the other day. I've got a little I've got a little thing that has to come off here. It's not a little thing. It's a big thing now. My grandson thinks it's some sort of button he can push and make sounds. But it's right there. And she said to me, I could take this off, but this is what she said. Danish, Danish lady talking second language. She said, I could take this off, but it won't look good. It won't, it, you need it to look like all your other wrinkles. 
I said, well, that's, that's a good thing. So she, you go to a specialist. I said, just take it off. I've got a face for radio. It doesn't matter. She said, what radio station do you work for? And I thought, ah, oh, it's an English joke. It doesn't matter. But Hebrews chapter, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 9 says this. Talking of Jesus, he has set you above all your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Now, Hebrews, not a coffee brand. That's an oldie but a goodie, isn't it? <laughs> Hebrews is talking to the religious Jews that are in the church. So the context actually is these staunch, fairly religious people called the Jews. And he says to them, he has anointed Jesus with joy above all his companions. Now, the anointing thing's important because, you know, when we do anointing services, we have a little bottle of oil and we flick it over and we put a bit on our finger and we go like that. Right, that's called anointing service. You have those, do you, Matt? Little anointing service, they're quite good, aren't they? And they're really exciting. But that's not what anointing means here. Anointing means by the bucket load. See, the oil would go into the hair. They'd keep tipping it over. It would go down through the clothes. It would saturate the person they were anointing. So here's what it says. Jesus has joy by the bucket load. Jesus has joy above all you could ever understand. He's anointed with this. He hasn't got a dab of it. He's covered in it. And I love that because when I became a Christian in 1974, I'll tell you what, I met the Jesus of joy. I literally did. For me, it was, I, don't, I didn't have any problems too much with the joy thing in church. I, I thought everything was pretty funny anyway. I mean, for me, it was, you know, I, I just, I've got a Monty Python sketch going on in my head all the time. And it's just letting out the right person at the right time. There's probably another word for it, but I'm not going to talk about that. And, and I just thought everything was pretty funny. But I went to my first prayer meeting in church and and I thought it was pretty strange, never been to a prayer meeting before. And I noticed that when they prayed, you know, they knelt down by a chair and started sniffing the chair. Well, actually, they weren't. They were just praying. But I thought, why are they sniffing the chairs? I remember in that prayer meeting thinking, praying, actually, this one thing I said to God, here's my prayer today. Please don't make me like these people. Because it was sort of quite boring, quite tough, quite hard to break through. And and joy was not part of who we are, but it wasn't, the, it wasn't the Jesus I met. You know, you've got these pictures of Jesus, these gothic pictures and these sad pictures, and the one with the halo that's quite a little bit crooked, and, and then you've got the sheep in his hand, and you've got all these pictures. And I was in a pastor's office recently in some part of the world, and he had a picture on the wall. It's not a good one. Here it is here. This is the Jesus I met, that one there, the smiling Jesus. It's not a very good picture because it was taken so long ago. And he needs some denture work, I know. But outside of that, that smiling face of Jesus. How did Jesus attract the crowds, especially his disciples? You know, did he go down to the lakeside really and just stand there and go, come follow me, you'll be as melancholic, depressed, and really sad as I am? Do you think he did that? Or was he jumping around and they, they'd heard of him and then they saw it? These are 12 blokes that followed him everywhere. I'm telling you now, they had some fun. Actually, Jesus got invited to parties. Some Christians can't even get to a party. He got invited to parties, and he was asked back again the next time. Because when he went there, I mean, when they ran out of wine, he created some more. <laughs> this Jesus was the one, this Jesus, and now 47 years later, I'm still loving the encounter with Jesus of joy. Hence, Hebrews, sorry, uh, hence John 15, we have a passage here, 15. Boy, these guys up there in the room are good, aren't they? 
right there. They're doing a good job. I don't know why they put PowerPoint people right over in a dark cupboard, but that's where they are, and they just know what to do. It's fascinating. Everywhere I go, you've got to go up rabbit warrens to find the PowerPoint, and they're sitting there, and they do it. They get it done. It's fantastic. So John 15, 11 says, these things, that's Jesus speaking, these things I have spoken to you that my joy might remain in you so that your joy is full. See, he wants his joy, now here's the difficult word, remain. That's an active word, and it involves us making a decision about the Jesus of joy. He, so 47 years later for me, I have to continue, and some of you, you have to continue to make the choice to remain. Because I've met Christians who are as old as long, long in the faith as me, and they are definitely saved and going to heaven, no question, but they haven't remained in the joy. So you say to them, where's your joy? I've got joy. <laughs> just, just, just very deep down, and I just can't find it right now, but it's there, I'm telling you. And you think, you've got to enjoy this thing, because the, he gave us this joy that it might remain, so it becomes your joy, so that your joy is full, not partial, not occasional, not on circumstance, but it's full joy. Who's the initiator of joy? Jesus, maybe you're here for the first time, or you've been coming a few times, you're maybe away from God right now, and you're in a meeting like this, and you don't need to understand it all, but maybe you understand one thing. You have to do something in your life, because you're finding joy through artificial stimulation through something out there that's external, and you're bringing it in, and you're getting joy for a while. They say of the Danish people, you know, they're the happiest people on earth. Well, let me help you here. They're not really. They are the contented people on earth. That's different. They're not happy. You walk down Copenhagen Street, they're not happy. I was walking around Hobart yesterday, and people actually spoke to me. Well, they're wheeling their pram. You don't speak to anybody with a pram. You don't talk to their dogs. You just ignore them. And they have 250,000 registered alcoholics in that country. Because I'll help you here. You can be content, but may not experience joy. You can be happy with what you've got, but may not ever have that fullness of joy. And that's what's happened in that country, to be honest. And there's a lot of things they need to encounter. And I did this research on that word, and this is what I came up with. Joy means pleasure or happiness and actually is value-based. So you can actually say, I believe in the value of joy. Great. Now let it shine on your face. That's the word rejoice. So the word rejoice is the word for an action of joy. So you can actually say, I do have joy but it's not coming out, which is why we have rejoice. By the way, of course, the word rejoice means to do the joy. And did you know 222 times in the Bible, Old Testament, sorry, it mentions rejoice, but it only uses it 26 times in the New Testament. And I thought about that. Why is it only 10% of what it was in the Old Testament? What happened there? And I'll tell you what happened. They didn't have Jesus in the Old Testament. They didn't know him. In the New Testament, you met Jesus, anointed with joy. Do you have to be reminded? Do you have to? You've got it. So rejoicing is almost a command in the old, but it's something we experience in personhood in the new. And I hope tonight, if you're not walking with him or you're not connected to God in any way, that you would choose to meet this person of joy. It's a fundamental point, this, but it's an important one. Have a look at this verse in Philippians chapter 
uh, uh, sorry, Romans, uh, yeah, that's the one, thank you, boy. I, I'm just, I actually really rely on these. I, I memorize my stuff now because it's good for my mind and it keeps the voices quiet. Anyway, so... <laughs> I do, I do that now. So this is Philippians 4.4. It says this, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, everyone knows that verse. Well, let me read it to you another way. Rejoice means joy, joy, doesn't it? So Joyce, that's a person I know, but joy, Joyce. So re is joy, joy. So here's how it goes. Joy, joy in the joy, always. And because you often don't get it, I'll say it again. Joy, joy. There are six joys in there. That's amazing, isn't it? Six joys. That took joy, joy in the joy, always. And again, I say joy, joy. Actually, that's five. But there you go. If you, if you include the again one, then it's, ah, oh, it doesn't matter. You get the point. Isn't that amazing? So it's, it's encouraging us in the New Testament to be affected by the value that we believe in, but by the person who has come into our life. That you've got to keep doing this. Now, it does affect, joy affects a lot of things. Have a look at this verse now, the one uh, in Romans. This is, uh, this is a very powerful cultural thing here right now. It says this, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, Okay. If you look at secular culture, you'll discover a shift is taking place. And the shift is, at least where I live, the shift is that the weepers, you might say, the people that, we'll call them the snowflakes, they are now so intensely involved with their feelings and their emotions and their offenses that it's becoming almost difficult to be a happy person around them because they'll even be offended by your happiness. You, well, you can't be that happy. What's wrong with you? you know? And so what's happened in the culture is meant to be equal, weeping and rejoicing, but it's shifting to a stronger culture of weeping. Now, I want to help you here. Let's not do that in the church. They are both equal. There are times people go through when they are weeping, when stuff is happening in their life that isn't good. And there is times when stuff is happening where you're rejoicing. And we're meant to respect both and honor both. See... By nature, who I am, I tend to be a rejoicer. To be honest, I can't remember when I was last sort of depressed. I've never, I don't think I ever have. I've always just been a happy sort of person, um, reasonably happy, see funny things in life. And uh, don't follow me on Instagram. Instagram is a great picture of what you see life, your lens through life. It's just jokes. There's no leadership quotes. There's nothing... (laughs) really any value there. It's just funny stuff. Uh, But I have people DMing me and saying, the first thing I do when I get up in the morning is check your Instagram page just to get it. And I think that's really sad. But anyway, (laughs) so we have this thing where almost we, and so I'm a rejoicer. And to be honest, it's really hard for me to adapt to that and understand what, but I need to understand how it is to weep with those who weeping. And by the way, can I just say this? Weeping people need to understand that they have to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. And I find sometimes the weepers want me to weep with them, but they won't rejoice with me. Because the culture has shifted. You've got to become what I... Now, here's a problem. Because, because essentially, my authentic self... Oh, we love that word, don't we? The authentic self. Isn't that an amazing thing? Oh, we just want authentic self. And you think, heck, that's really unbiblical. Really? Yeah, that's really unbiblical. I'll tell you why. 
because of my authentic self is a rejoicer, and I refuse to change my approach to the weeper because that's not who I am, then I'm not practicing good Christianity. So I can't root myself in my authentic self, excuse me, I'm not weeping with you because I am naturally just not that person. And the weepers can't do that either. You know, you can't do that because you have to be in the process of change. You know, my wife, uh, she runs a church. She planted it herself, and it's a, it's a good, solid, growing church. And whenever we go out together to a, I call it a pastoral thing. It's a, usually a church function. You know, she tells me, whenever, every time we get in the car, she says, put your filters on. I don't know what that means. I have no idea what she's talking about. But apparently, it's always a problem when I get there because I just say things and don't really know that they are not to be said. And I always see funny things and things. So people will be telling me a story and it's not a good one. And I, I have a tendency to go, that is so funny. And they say, no, it's not. It's really serious because they think it's really, but I see it as, I'm sorry. <laughs> this is why I don't do counseling. I've never have, Matt. Never done it. And it's important because as they're telling me the story, I'm going, that is really, I could do a whole comedy sketch out of that one right there. And, but here's the thing. I can't just root myself to my authentic self. I actually have to embrace what Scripture says. Here's what Scripture says. Three things about this authentic self. Number one, put on the new man and put off the old man. Do you know what? My authentic self is called the old man. And when I justify my rejoicing and don't weep and understand the context I'm in, then I am operating from the old man. So I have to pull it into check and stop and say, I'm operating out of the wrong man here. The second one is that I am in Christ, not in Scott Wilson, and neither are you. The greatest part of the message of Jesus is that you're no longer in yourself, that you're in Him. And if you're struggling today with stuff in your life and you're not a Christian, you need to be in Him because then He takes over and He is in control. And, you and so I can't just be me. I have to be Him. That's really hard. That's the journey of life, isn't it? Learning to be like Jesus would be. That's hard work. But I haven't got an excuse to say, excuse me, but this is just me. This is moi. That's French for me. Uh, <laughs> I have to be Him. So I can't just rejoice and plunder my way through life, and disturb people who are not in that mode. And here's the third one. The third one is, this is so important, we are changed from glory to glory. I mean, those of you who have maybe known me for a long time, Bruce Chester's out there, I can see him in the crowd. He's known me for many years, probably 40 years, maybe longer. And uh, Bruce would say, because I, I've paid him to do so, he would say he is actually a little bit better than he was when I first met him. Just a little, but he's getting there. So life tends to do that, but we shouldn't be the same as when we started. We should be better in life than when we started. And so there's three reasons why you can't root. Imagine if you just rooted yourself all the time to the reason I can't do something is this is my authentic self and I can't change. That's not a biblical notion. Does that make sense? It's not a biblical idea. You can change, you can put on, put off, and you are in Him. Here's another one that it affects, I think, very powerfully. This one here. It affects church work and life. Now, in Nehemiah, they're building the wall. It's a 58-day experience, but they're rapidly building this wall because they've been given permission, and they get stressed out. They are actually in the, they're tired. They've got a sword in one hand, a brick in the other. So they're really, really tired. They can't cope anymore. They're struggling to get the job done. Well, what does Nehemiah come in and say? Hey, guys, let me look at your calendars. Let me check out your leadership life. Let me do a... He doesn't do that. This is what he says. In the middle of stress, 
The joy of the Lord is your strength. Fantastic. That's the truth. When you start to lose strength in your life, in a relationship, at work, at what you're doing, it's because you're losing your joy. And we will say it's because of that thing over there I'm losing joy, when in fact, you're probably losing it in here first. And you have to work on that. Then he says this, which I think is staggering. He, the next thing he says is, now go home, verse 11, go home, enjoy choice food, sweet drinks, and those who haven't got any, bring them to you or send stuff to them. In other words, he says, you've got to learn to enjoy everything you have in life. It's a part of who you are. And so often we separate, you know, I've heard this so many times. Oh, but the church has stressed me out. Churches don't stress anyone out. But when you're not enjoying things that are going on in your world, you'll blame something for taking it away. Actually, it's a holistic thing. And this is how Nehemiah works. He said, are you enjoying everything? We have a conference every year in some part of Europe for the past. We have about 70 guys who come. We, we keep it quite small. And um, we, we actually go to different cities around Europe. It's fantastic. This year it's in Madrid. Last year it was in Barcelona. The year before that was in Riga. And we basically do that because many of us haven't seen those places. So we go for a conference and then charge the church. It's just a thing. And uh, so they go for a week, but the conference is like that short. And it's really cool. Matt, you'd love to do that one day. I'm sure that you should come over and be a part of that. So we're in Madrid, and um, we had this guy come and speak, and he did this amazing message just for 15 minutes on God has given us all things to enjoy. And then he said, sometimes I do things in my life that have nothing to do with God. I just love doing them. You know, he takes up flying. He said, I, I fly planes. People came to me and said, do you want to be a missionary flying, flying people to missions place? He said, nah. Do you do this because God spoke to you to fly planes? Nah. Do you do this because you want to help people get around? You know, has God spoken to you? Nah. Why do you do it? I just enjoy it. And I think he's hit something here. When you're not enjoying the stuff, we live in a first world country. We have so much to enjoy. Let's enjoy what God has given us because that keeps our strength up. The next verse, the next thing it affects is this. Uh, joy in difficult times, because I think the thing you'd say to me is, well, hold on, you know, some of us have tough times. That is true. We have tough times, tough experiences. I don't want to belittle tragedy, um, uh, 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 spontaneous things that happen that are not good. I want to talk about the, the stuff in life that comes because we're just living in this life. We're just doing life, and things happen. Difficult times happen. And this is what the writer of James says. One, in James 1-2, he says, Count it all joy when you experience difficult times. Let's break that up. Difficult times are usually external. Joy is internal. That's about our inner value system. But count is a head word. So he's saying when you've got stuff out there which affects in there, you've got to work it out up here. That's what that verse says. Isn't that amazing? Because I'll tell you what happens when you have difficult times. You actually let the heart, the feeling, the emotion rule, and you forget this bit. I'll tell you how I know that we forget that bit. Even though the gap between the head and the heart is only about half a meter, for most of it's 300 kilometers. But truly, most of discipleship is, is how we think more than the heart. When somebody meets Jesus, the heart engages, the heart connects, but sometimes the mind doesn't. And they're rationalizing, working it out. What did I just do? What does that mean? Well, actually, what's happened there is your heart has found him, but your mind is far away. 
I can prove that to you. How many of you know what it's like to stand in a worship service and have your hands up, gazing up into the, what, you just got your eyes closed and you look like an angel. Like that's like an angel. And you're worshiping God with your heart, but your mind is cooking chicken at home. Oh, you have done that. Yeah, your mind's cooking chicken at home or working out tomorrow's Monday. But we all see this. And we think, oh, those people are so engaged. But the head's going, what's the checklist for tomorrow? Oh, that's right, I've got to ring him. Yep, do that, yeah. But we're worshiping God. And this is because, actually, we need to, in difficult times, engage the way we think. Count it all joy when you fall into difficult times. Now, what does that mean? Count, work it out. Well, I say it's two things. First of all, number one, work out what Scripture says about difficult times. The Bible shows us the narrative of difficult times in people's lives. The book of Hebrews is one of the best books to read on the troubles people faced and how they battled through them. But one of the best verses would have to be Romans 8.28, which says, All things work together for good to them who love God. Not some things, not the things you want to, but all things, including difficult times. The gap between seeing the goodness of God in something and the initial experience is purely attitude. When, have you met people who 25, 30 years later are still going on about something that happened in their life and you're like, heck man, now you've got a really strange attitude about this and you're defending your attitude that, and they're wondering where the good is in it. It's because their attitude shrunk it down or sorry, stretched it out. When actually, if you get your attitude right in difficult times, then things change. You know, people, people have weird ideas about difficult times. Some of them think God gives it to them. You know, God does that. God does that. God makes that happen. That's, that's why you're there. And how do you work that out then? If, if God's done it, there's no working it together. It's just happened. God did it. It's fatalism, really. I had a guy, when I was planting our church in Orbost, if anybody knows where that is, it's right up there. And... Um, I had a guy working with me, or a guy with me, and we were looking at going up to another town about two hours away, and we're driving back. And he said to me, I've got a really bad ache in my elbow. It's really, really bad. And uh, I need to go to the hospital. My wife works there. She's on duty tonight. She's a nurse. And I'll get a painkiller shot into the, to the elbow, and it'll fix it like that. And I said, oh, let me pull over and pray for you to be healed from this thing. I'll just lay hands on the elbow, and maybe that'll... And he said, no, 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 you don't understand. God gave me this to teach me something. And I said, oh, okay, so I dropped them at his house. And he said, I told you to drop me at the hospital. Why did you drop me there? I said, well, if God gave you to teach you something, I don't want to be the one who takes it away. <laughs> so you can keep that sucker. In fact, if it's such a good learning curve, why don't you share it with your wife, give it to your kids and all your neighbors? <laughs> How does that work? Now, God teaches us stuff through it, but to say he gives it to us so that you learn something is ridiculous nonsense. And that's how people work. So if he's working all things together for good, then that means there's an action of God dealing with stuff we didn't plan. Here's the second thing. Sometimes you need perspective on what's going on. You need another person's story. There's always somebody worse off than I am, worse off than you are. Always somebody. That's amazing, isn't it? Always. And you've got to hunt them down. And you hear, I love doing that because when I think of, we have first world problems, to be honest. Everything's a first world problem. Hey, when you've got a first world problem, read page eight, right down in the right-hand corner of the newspaper where it says a thousand people were killed in a flood somewhere and they don't put it on the front page, then you'll get perspective. The media has no perspective on this stuff. They talk about stuff on the front page. It has nothing to do with what's happening in the world. 
But we need to make sure we do as Christians get perspective. Here's the last one, and everyone said, thank goodness. Uh, joy is a kingdom value. Romans 14, 17. It's the only place in Scripture that actually literally identifies the kingdom of God values. Now, most kingdom of God values we use come from parables Jesus said, and that's okay. But here's where it categorically, without doubt, tells you what the value is. And there's only three. That the kingdom of God is found in righteousness, joy, and peace. Do you know what they are? Righteousness, right with God. That's this way. Right, righteousness, I'm right with God. How? Through Jesus. He did it all. I didn't do anything. That's the amazing thing of the good news. I didn't do anything. You didn't do anything. He did it all. I accept him. He doesn't accept me. Religion says God's got to accept you. Jesus said, I'm not interested in accepting you. You accept me. I've done it all. I've paid the price. Just receive it into your life. That's what all of you have done. You've received what he did. You didn't understand it, but you brought it into your life, and it revolutionized your life. That's what happened to me. I tried to do it myself, but you can't get there. You receive him, and it all changes. And, and then, right, that's righteousness. Then it says peace. Well, that's how we operate together. Can you imagine a church of peace, a marriages with peace? Everyone's operating in peace, and it's, that's this way. But joy is your internal self. Notice it picks joy. That joy. That's your internal self. That's one of the kingdom of God values. That's quite revolutionary. Righteousness before God, peace before each other, joy. Why didn't it say love? I thought love was the greatest of all. No, it says joy is a kingdom of God thing. Number one. And then it says this in verse 18, which is right after 17, which to be honest, I hadn't read before as it is there. It's quite staggering. For he who serves Christ in these things. What things? Those three things. You serve Christ in those three things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Wow, that's fascinating. It's just three things. Righteousness, peace, joy. And when those things start happening, you'll find and discover acceptability before God and approval by men. I find that absolutely fascinating because that's the thing we want the most in our lives. Here's a simple idea, ladies and gentlemen, tonight. Joy is the thing that makes it all work. I don't know about you, but I, was, I think it's so powerful in church that as an atmosphere. I was asked in a church recently, they, they have a very large staff, 120 staff, and they do staff meetings all day, uh, meetings all day on, the, on the Tuesday. And they said to me, how do I run team meetings on the Tuesday so that we just, you know, keep building the church? And I said, well, you know, this is how it goes. The guy comes into work. All your people come in at 8 o'clock. They've had four Cortados. They've had 17 shots of coffee, so they're energized. They're ready to go, and they sit in one of your meetings, and it starts here, and you get to take it to there. Then they go to the next one, goes down to there. By 3 o'clock, they don't even want to work here anymore because what you've done is you've concentrated on content and not energy. And what gives energy? The joy of the Lord is your strength. Actually, I'd rather have a church of people out of front of house who have no idea what they're doing but they love what they're doing and they're full of joy because people feel you first before they know what you believe. They feel you first. But in churches I work with in Europe, they've got the checklist and they're ticking it all. There I pastor, I did the checklist, they're happy. Not really, because you're not happy. Yeah, but I did what you wanted and content can be sent in an email on a text face to face, but you can't email atmosphere. It has to be created in how we work. I want to encourage you today, the greatest thing we carry is the presence of Jesus yeah. in joy. And we have to work on it through the difficult times and the times we face to make sure we're always 
remaining, as John says, in his joy. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. To stay up to date, check us out at our website, faithcc.com.au.